0: The scripture reading for today's sermon is Titus, chapter 2, verses 6 through 10. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned So that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Slaves are to be submissive to their masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. This is the word of the Lord. Well good morning. It is an honor to be with you all this morning and I want to thank you all for your support and prayer. I can attest that prayer, prayer works. This journey of preparing a sermon and then getting to preach it has grown me and you all have been so supportive. I have family members here. I got multiple texts this morning and then my church family, the posters that are up, and I know you all are praying. And it has been um challenged in my own life in learning what I get to preach and I hope that it's a blessing to you too. Today's sermon is on the younger community of grace, and it actually is an easier sermon to preach because the community we have here is is vibrant and we love the Lord and i hope today i can exhort you and bring your focus to why we do what we do and that we will just have a clarity from Titus for that but right back at Matt it really is an honor to be a part of this church and i love you all and just thank you for that i'm really glad that dick russell preached on the older community last week and then I get to preach on the younger community this week because I don't have to explain younger and older, the difference there. You can see it right up here. <laughs> <laughs> but let me say a couple things about the younger. It's a relative word and some of you who are in your 50s still believe you're, you're younger and that's true. But when Paul's writing about the younger younger people, he also is is implying that they're less mature, and the point then is to become mature. So when we're talking about the younger community, it's those of us who are growing in our faith, which I hope is all of us. But the thrust of today's sermon will be at the younger in age, and it doesn't mean necessarily that you're single. You're just a kid. I like to think of it as those of us who are vibrant in in age and have energy and young in mind, willing to learn and grow. So through this whole sermon um, series, we've been talking about what a healthy church looks like. Logan was preaching on um, healthy elders, and um, we've heard about Good Doctrine, and then Dick Russell preached on, on the older community being healthy. So today, what I want us to see is what a younger community looks like to be healthy. How, what are aspects that we need to have to be a healthy community? Matthew 28. Verses 19 and 20, the Great Commission, Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is a great passage on church growth. And to quote Logan, he said, A church grows when new people join. And that's the first part of this this commission, is go make disciples. And that's also where young people, we need to be, is first and foremost a disciple of Jesus Christ, to be in Christ. And I'll cover more of that later. And then the other kind of growth is where Jesus commands, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And this is growth spiritually. And that happens through um, mainly teaching and preaching of the Word and intentional discipleship. And so I'll be using the word discipleship a lot this morning because that's a passion point of mine, that we are intentional about passing on and um, knowing who Jesus is and what he did and that we're not ignorant of what Scripture says. Peter writes in 2 Peter 3.18, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That this is the command for us is to grow. I want that to be the first and foremost aspect of the younger community here, is that we're growing. It's, it's a principle in all of Christianity, but as we are maturing in age and experience, that we're growing in Christ. And like I mentioned before, The point is not to stay young. The point is not to stay immature. But it is to mature and become old, if I can put it that way. So what do I mean by discipleship? Let's unpack that a little bit. A disciple, the definition of a disciple, is a convinced adherent of a school or individual. And for the church, that's a convinced adherent of the doctrines of Christ. And... This creates a culture in the church, one that is a healthy peer pressure, that we are all growing together and seeking Christ. And and so what do we mean by a culture, a community? If you're um, in the store and you see an elderly gentleman who is talking with a sweet accent and he's friendly, he's got a tan on his arms and a cup of sweet tea in his hand. You're like, he's from the South, you know the culture. Is it his accent that makes the culture? Mm, Not by itself. Is it the hospitality that they're known for that makes the culture? It, It adds to it. Is it the sweet tea? No, maybe. I'm going to argue that. The point is, a culture is created by so many different aspects. And I love that in this sermon series, we've heard multiple aspects that creates this healthy culture of discipleship centered on the gospel. Just to remind you of, of what we have heard, elders being sound in doctrine and um, loving their people is a foundational aspect of a healthy church. And I'm so glad that we have that. And then Matt Bedzik preached on good doctrine, and that's what creates um, a healthy church as well. And then um, just that we would listen to that and respond. So let me give you some goals of discipleship. Like what we want to see when we talk about discipleship in in the church. I'm from the text and I'll unpack it later, but but number one is to renounce worldly passions, repent from our sins. Two, I mentioned this before, to grow in the grace and knowledge of God. And three, it's to know what you believe so that you're not deceived by false doctrine. And ultimately it's so that we're fruitful in the good works that we're called to do, to glorify God. So I hope you've been reading through Titus, through this whole sermon series, and you can hear all through um, the whole book, because it is one letter written um, to one person, the words like teach, train, urge, exhort, instruct, rebuke. And this is what I see in the church as well, that what we need to be doing is this constant urging one another on to love and good works, and and discipling. So come to our text. I had honestly had this all prepared last Sunday. I preached it to myself and went, nope, it's wrong. And so this week I totally flipped it around. And Stacy had mentioned that um, she had heard this preached um, backwards through the the second chapter in Titus here, and as I thought about that, it's like, yep, that's straightforward. So we're going to start in verse 11, actually, and then we'll get into our text, because verse 11 starts with the word for, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. This is point one on your notes if you're taking notes, the gospel. And this is first and foremost in the church. First of all, it gives us perspectives on who we are. We know that we are um, full of sin. From chapter one in Titus, verse 12, a prophet of their own said that they are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. And if you think about... America, and the church. like This describes our, our tendencies, our sinful nature. And um, this, is, this is what we are saved from through Christ. So first of all, the gospel teaches us that there's nothing good in and of ourselves. Secondly, um, if you would and you want to follow along, I'm going to read from Ephesians 2 verses 14 through 22. But now, in Christ Jesus, you, who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man, in place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So the gospel is that Christ saved us through his blood. We've been brought near by the blood of Christ, that our old man is put to death, and then um, we're no longer strangers and aliens. We are disciples of Jesus Christ, and fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. That this is this is a community, members of and families, family members of the body of Christ. The last verse that I read. It says, In Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And if you you pick this apart, it says, In Him for God by the Spirit. He's the one doing the work. If we um, switch that around, that we do the work to be in Him, then we miss the gospel. One of my mentors, Derek Lewandowski, describes Gospel centrality as this. The standard by which God accepts us never switches from God's work to our work. And the power source never switches, the power source to live the Christian life, never switches from the Holy Spirit to me. We lose the Gospel being centered if we try to work to earn our salvation. and. The reason specifically I bring this up now is because the rest of my sermon will be pretty practical points that are, could be taken as do's and don'ts. And that's not because um, that's the way we earn acceptance with God, but because He saved us by His grace. And that's the reason that we renounce worldly passions and ungodliness is so that, um, like that's our reason for then living holy lives, is because Christ in His love saved us, and also in Christ we find victory. The, the He's given us the Holy Spirit, and there is there's power in His name. So now to actually dive into our text. We'll start with verses 9 and 10. Slaves. And when Paul is writing to slaves, he's writing to men and women in the workforce. They're you know, nose to the grindstone and working all the time. And all of us here work as well. And so it's easy to apply what he says to slaves directly to us in, in the workplace. So that's what I'm going to do. There's a list here. They're supposed to be submissive to their own masters that in the workplace we're under the authority of our boss, do what we're told. They're well-pleasing, just being able to show up with a smile, show interest in what you're doing, and, and be a good learner. They're not argumentative. We can have no back talk. Um, also, just follow directions in the workplace, um, not, not pilfering, which means not stealing. And Usually we think about stealing as like stealing things, but especially in the workplace, I think what's easy for me is to steal time. I get distracted and young people, specifically for us, our phones are a huge distraction. So easy. My phone goes off and I look at it, especially now that I have a girlfriend goes off and it's important to me and I want to respond, but it's not my time. And and it's not urgent. I can respond on a break or or lunchtime. But I have figured out that voice texting works too. You can walk somewhere and, and talk into your phone and it's not wasting time. And then the last one, being faithful, showing all good faith. That you're diligent you're punctual, and you take responsibility for what you do. And these apply directly to us in the workplace. But what if this kind of work ethic didn't just happen in the workplace? What if it was a lifestyle that we lived out in every area of life, and especially in the church? Matt has definitely taught us that this summer, as the college and career group knows that. If you look on the Google document that if you're privileged to look on the Google document, you'll see the College and Careers group will see their name over and over again. Spreading sand, um, preaching, teaching, and it's hard work. It's it's not a volunteer. The church is not a volunteer society. We're called to be active and take responsibility. But if in the church, we go through that list again that you're under the authority especially the authority of the elders, that you're a pleasure to work with. You're not instigating arguments or division, that you're giving of your time, your resources. You're not even coming close to stealing, and you're faithful in all you do. I think we just call that person a Christian. We should expect that. And here's the reason. It adorns the doctrine of Christ. It makes the, the... what Christ has shown us to shine, and it's a light in the world. And yeah, there's a reward at our jobs. We're compensated with money. And, um, but that's just the foreshadow of our reward in heaven, that we're rewarded with Christ himself. And so investment, hard work in the kingdom of God, is totally worth it. And um, the reward is Christ. It's here and in heaven. So, recap, the gospel is foundational to a younger community being healthy. And then the second aspect of a healthy, younger community is hard work. We have the energy, and let's let's put our focus and our energy into the kingdom of God. And then verses 7 and 8, Paul writes to Titus to show himself in all respects to be a model of good works and in his teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say. So under the third point, the disciple-maker. If our definition of a disciple is one who is a convinced adherent of Jesus Christ, then a disciple-maker is one who convinces others to adhere to Jesus Christ. And this is accomplished by, one, being a model of good works in all respects. And all means all in serving, in work, in speech, in relationships, in home, in his thoughts, his priorities. It's his whole life. And one one area of life that isn't a good model. Like Christ Christ will work on that, but we're called to be genuine and to have our whole life be a model. Now I can just add here all of us are called to be disciple makers and all of us are called to be disciples at the same time and that's how we grow together. So don't think that when I'm talking to the disciple makers, oh this isn't me. If you're in Christ, you're called to be a disciple maker And then in his teaching, another way that he convinces others to adhere to Jesus Christ is in his teaching. And he does that with integrity and dignity and sound, healthy speech. It's it's fruitful. It gives life. And this is so that there is no appearance of evil, that opponents can't bring um, a fault, to him and they'll be speechless and the last thing that a disciple maker does which I love this word and this picture is in verse 6 where it says Paul writes to urge the younger men is this word urge it means try earnestly to persuade someone to do something earnestly to persuade this takes work and if you can Picture this with me, if you've ever watched the movie Facing the Giants, there's a scene where it's about a football team, and they're, they're a losing team, and the coach has um, rearranged his priorities, and he's decided to um, make it a winning team, um, but so much more for the glory of God. But they're at practice one day, and one of the players asks the star player, the leader of the team, um, captain you know can we beat the next team we're playing and and Brock this this captain says no we can't like they're they're better than us and the coach goes hmm i think his attitude needs to change so he has him do with what they call a death crawl it's, it's on his hands and his feet he has a guy on his back and they had just done it and Brock had done excellent he had won he had done 10 yards it's hard work but he had he had accomplished it he he was the star And so he says, Brock, come here. Coach calls Brock and and they get to the end zone and Brock's like, Oh, you want me to do twenty yards? I can do that. Coach goes, No, I want you to do fifty. It's like, but you're gonna do it blindfolded so you can't stop when when you think you're done. So Brock starts out and then the coach is encouraging him, walking alongside him, you know, you're you're doing good. Move to the left a little bit, and then Brock goes, It's hard, I'm gonna quit. And and I love this picture. The coach gets on his hands and knees, gets in his face, and starts urging him on. That he's down on the turf with him. He's okay. He's yelling in his face, and we don't need to do um, yelling, but it's it's passionate, it's encouraging, and it's exhorting him like, "Don't stop. Don't quit." And This is also the responsibility of disciple-makers, is get into those that you're pouring into. Get into their life, into their hurts, into their problems, and say, Christ is worth it. Don't quit. So that's the calling of one who makes disciples. And then the disciple, verse 6, all the way up to the top. Likewise, Urge the younger men to be self-controlled. So, in that illustration I just gave, Brock actually listened to the urging. So, young men and young women, listen to those who urge you. Listen to Dave and Matt as they preach from the sermon from the pulpit. Listen to um, those who, um, the older community that are teaching and training us. Let's. Let's be willing to learn. And then this command is to be self control And it's self that's doing the controlling. So it's not government. It's not the church. And it's not even your parents. It's being controlled by yourself. Now, in Galatians, we learn that self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. And like I said, talking about the Gospel, if we work in our own strength then we miss the Spirit of Christ working in us. So for it to be a fruit of the Spirit, number one, you have to be abiding in Christ. In John 15, Jesus says, Abide in me and I in you. The branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. That's where we press hard into is into Christ and allow His Spirit to work in us, that the fruit that comes out is self-control. But I know that's a little vague. Like press into Christ, do that. But let me give you five practical areas to practice self-control. That you, um, Logan, uh, the definition that Logan gave of self-control is not doing things that you would want to do. So. As humans, we have three desires, and that's eating, sleeping, and our sexual desires. And so in our eating and our sleeping, practice self-control. Be moderate. Don't, don't be lazy. Um, these, this is how the Cretans are described, as, as lazy. They're, it's not just when you're sound asleep, but it's when you're sitting around. Like, and it's the opposite of being a hard worker. And, worse than that, these Cretans are lazy gluttons. Not only do they just sit around, they eat while they're doing it. And, I can just picture it. They're just... That's all they do. Put their hand to the mouth, eat, and they're lazy. So, we're called to be Christians and to practice self-control in our eating, sleeping, and then... In our, in our desires for intimacy, guys, let's fight for purity. Let's practice self-control, that it's, it's confined to marriage, that that's where the, the beauty of this can happen. Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.22, So flee youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. So don't just practice self-control and say, let's not do it. Turn to Christ and pursue Him. And then in two of our resources to practice self-control, um, God-given resources, money and time, um, in, our, in our finances to be good stewards and to not be wrapped up in this material age of just getting what you want. Um, so, so practically denying yourself yourself um, what, what you want and in your time to be a good steward of that as well control so in, in our age we we love our screen time our movies our TV shows and when I, was, when I was 16 or 17 there was a great TV show that I found I already had 8 seasons out and I binge watched all 8 seasons it's about 70 hours of watching it's time wasted I'll never get back and I still like the TV show, but it's a waste of time. Like, don't waste your life on, on just watching things, on what goes on on your phone. Like, be intentional with your time. Be intentional with um, working hard. Be intentional with resting, and use your time wisely. I love the result that you see when there is a community of discipleship that goes on. And I've experienced this myself for the past five years. Um, Christ called me to seek out being discipled. And I've had men pour into me over the past five years. And it hasn't been perfect. There's been times that I've gone back to being lazy and not wanting to keep pursuing Christ. But the fruit of knowing who my God is and understanding what the Christian life looks like has played out in my life over the past three weeks. To be honest, they've been some of the roughest weeks that I've experienced in my life. And that's not because I just got a girlfriend. Don't worry about that. That's, that's been a joy. Um, but between Christina's health and the unknowns, and my dad's been sick, and um, Caleb and I are ready at a moment's notice to leave to go get Christina, and Little things like my lawnmower breaking and um, other responsibilities and pressures of life. If I didn't know who my God was, if I didn't know that He is sovereign, that He loves me, that I can trust Him, my life would be a mess. I would be walking away from the faith because I would think that God's not good to me. But because there have been people who have loved me enough to say, Matthias, this is who your God is this is who you believe in and I know that in my mind and I can believe it in my heart that he is good he's sovereign and what that produces in me is I hope good fruit that my motivation for what I do comes out of knowing who my God is so let me leave you with five application points one abide in Christ love the gospel press into Christ Do it daily, do it consistently, and don't ever stop doing it. Number two, get to know your God. I love that in Sunday school we're going through the attributes of God because knowing your God is what produces faith. You know who he is, you know you can trust him. So spend a lifetime seeking and getting to know Jesus and the Father and the Spirit. And number three, straight from our text, be self-control. Practice it. Fight for it. Number four, um, be discipled and find someone to disciple. And it doesn't necessarily have to happen um, formally, um, like preaching from the pulpit. It can happen just pouring into someone um, younger than you, or on the same level, or encouraging one another. But but we're willing to give what what Christ has given you and encourage one another and if I can really encourage especially um, those of us in the younger community find someone to mentor you Um, that has changed my life to have older men speak into my life and it's shaped me into who I am today number four of course be a hard worker I'm in the church in your workplace and in pursuing Christ, just bring your focus and energy to whatever you are doing. And finally, for all of us, that we can find ways to urge one another on to good works. Because, like I said, ultimately, and and what Paul is, um, his whole thrust of the of the letter in uh, chapter three, verse fourteen, he says, "And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works." so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. And so to put, put that into practice, to find urgent needs and to be fruitful and to, to do good works, because we are, are saved by grace through faith in Christ who loved us.